God. We are in a, a series. We are week two uh, today in a series, uh, the Old Testament book of Daniel. And so uh, let me, is that up there? Yes. Uh, we have entitled the series Stand Up. Uh, stand out. And we're going to be specifically in Daniel 3 this morning. So if you uh, have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to go ahead and turn there to Daniel chapter 3, the infamous story of this uh, golden image and the fiery furnace, uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. That's the story we're going to be in today in Daniel chapter 3. Let me give you some reminders. Uh, if you weren't here with us last week or you haven't had a chance to uh, listen or watch uh, the message from last week, uh, we have four young Hebrew Jewish men. They are from the line of David. They are in the tribe of Judah. They are nobility. They are princes. The Messiah, the prophecy of the Messiah is from the line of David and the tribe of Judah and Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah are teenagers. They are 15 years old or so. It is 605 BC and God in judgment because of the rebellion of Israel against his covenant has given Israel over Judah, over to uh, a pagan empire, the Babylonian empire, King Nebuchadnezzar. And so King Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem in 605 BC, they overthrow Jerusalem and there would be multiple waves of exiles that would go from Judah, from Jerusalem to be exiles, to be enslaved to the Babylonian empire over the years. And the first wave of those exiles were Daniel and his three friends. And what we talked about last week is this, that these sophomores in high school, uh, as exiles enslaved in a foreign pagan polytheistic land, would choose faithful living, obedience, conviction, standing up, standing out for their faith when everything in the world and everything in their circumstances was screaming the other, they would stand up and they would stand out. Um, it's remarkable to me. I, I've been in um, ministry for uh, 20 plus years since I graduated uh, from college. Uh, 20 plus years. Half of those years has been working full-time with young people. Uh, I coach high school basketball right now. I have three teenagers of my own. I'm around teenagers a lot. And to think that these stories, what we learned last week, what we're going to talk about and learn this week, were, were sophomores in high school and the conviction and the courage, the humility and the courage of their faith is just remarkable to me. And God and they're standing up and standing out and they're standing on their convictions. God shows them favor. He shows them protection and he shows them favor. Um, specifically in chapter two, uh, the King Nebuchadnezzar has this wild dream of this big statue and there's uh, a gold head and I think it's like a silver chest and there's bronze and there's iron and there's clay and he, it's really confusing to the king and God gifts Daniel the gift of interpreting the dream. And so at the very end of chapter two, uh, that's what we see um, Daniel and his three friends um, being promoted because of God's favor in their lives. Let me read the end. We didn't read this last week. So let me read to you uh, Daniel 2, verses 46 uh, and 49. Uh, that come up. 
so this is the end of chapter two. It's setting the stage for where we're gonna be today in chapter three. Uh, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. Why? Because Daniel came in and interpreted his dream for him. And so he, he is enamored by this. He is overwhelmed by it. He falls prostrate before Daniel and he pays honor to him and offered that an offering and incense be presented to him, to Daniel. And the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you were able to reveal this mystery to me. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. And he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are their Babylonian names. Uh, They were named after foreign gods, gods of the Babylonian pagan people. So the king had renamed them uh, these Babylonian names in this Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They made them, he made them administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Similar story to the story of Joseph. We talked about this last week, how Daniel is promoted in this pagan kingdom to this high level of authority because of God's favor in his life. Daniel in the king's court, his three buddies are administrators. Humble, humble faith, yet courageous faith is being promoted and exalted favored by God. And we would see this happen. We will see this happen as we continue in the story of Daniel. You'll see this over and over in this story that their humble, courageous faith to stand up and stand out um, is favored again and again and again. I think uh, Daniel and his buddies, we could say they're the real deal, right? They are the real deal. You've probably heard this statement before. They don't just talk the talk. They Walk the walk, right? You've heard, that, you've heard that statement before. I think we can certainly say that about these sophomores in high school. They're not just talking about their love and obedience to Yahweh. They are living it out, even, even at, in the face of extreme consequences to their own lives, which is the story uh, today. They lived their faith no matter the consequence. So this is what brings us to chapter three. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are... are um, They have administrative authority over a province of Babylon. Um, And we're gonna be in a lot of uh, uh, scripture today. Um, And so just be ready. I'm excited that the Lord has led me to so many different passages of scripture to try to uh, teach this uh, to you today. And so be ready to maneuver. I'm gonna, we're gonna ultimately read the entire chapter three together. I'll read it in sections. We'll make some comments about each section. And then at the end of our time together, I'll make a couple of, encouragements, exhortations to us uh, and how we could receive this teaching for us uh, and have it be a fresh teaching in our lives uh, today at the end. So let's start with uh, Daniel 3, verses 1 to 7. There we go. Uh, We'll read this together. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he made an image of gold. By the way, his dream in chapter two was that his head was, um, was the gold image. And so um, Daniel had interpreted the dream to say, hey, king, that, this is, that's representative of your Babylonian empire. And I think what King Nebuchadnezzar says, like, well, I don't want just the head to be gold. Let's have a whole image of gold. It kind of, I think it went to his head a little bit. And so he makes this image of gold 90 feet high and nine feet 
why? Just, I mean, think, if you think about that for a second, that's a really tall image and a pretty skinny image compared to the height. Uh, our bodies, the ratio is like five to one. This is like a 10 to one ratio. I don't know that that makes a whole lot of spiritual sense, but I just think it's interesting to think about. It's a pretty skinny image. Maybe he just thought himself as a skinny guy. I don't really know. I'm just talking right now, making sure we're here. We here? Okay, here we go. Uh, 90, 90 feet high, nine feet wide. And he set it up on the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon, not in the, not, not in the capital city, but kind of out in the plains. It'd be like uh, if, if something happened out here, be out East Colorado on a big plain there. It's out of the city is where they set up this image. And then Nebuchadnezzar summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. And so the satraps, is that how you say that? Satraps, satraps, I don't know. I'm from the South. Sometimes I can't read these words. Uh, Prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. And then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do. Do, do. This is what's gonna happen. Everybody's there. And the herald is making this big announcement. Oh, peoples, nations, men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped at the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Uh, I think, I do think that... um, we could call him Nebuchadnezzar. We could call him Neb Dog. It's kind of like Nate Dog. Like I grew up in the 90s. Anybody, any Nate Dog fans out there? I see, bro. Neb Dog, right? Nebuchadnezzar. You guys are a tough crowd today. Um, I think this gold head from chapter two that represented his, his likeness and empire goes to his head and he's like, I, it's the whole thing. We're gonna just create this 90 foot by nine foot Uh, image of his own likeness. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I am a self-proclaimed deity and you must worship me. And if you don't worship me, you will be, you will be killed. That was the edict. Um, It was an idol to be worshiped out in the plains. And the, the, the intention of it was to unite, hear this, to unite the entire kingdom under one religion. No, no, no freedom of religion, Unite the kingdom under one religion, the worship of this self-proclaimed deity and this statue. All the government officials were there. This long list of people in verses two and three, uh, they are in descending rank of their, of their status as leaders in this empire. And they're all there. And the music, the worship band was all there. They had rehearsed on Thursday night before and they're all there and they've got wind instruments and they've got... Um, horns and flutes and everything you can think of. And they're all there. They're all there and and they're ready. And so to ensure allegiance, if you don't bow when when the 
worship begins, you will you will be killed. Um, they had the Babylonian Empire. They had these industrial sized ovens, and the reason they had those in this empire was to smelt metal, but also to make bricks. Uh, for what they were building. And so there's these huge ovens, these massive brick kilns. And they had an opening in the top of these huge brick kilns. And then there were also openings in the side for ventilation so that the fires could go. And so um, things could come down into, into it from the top, but also there was a way that you could see into the oven from the side because they had these side doors for ventilation. And that's where someone would be thrown if they didn't uh, bow down. By the way, there have been large brick kilns excavated in Babylon. In the ancient provinces of Babylon, they have found these ancient brick kilns. Pretty, pretty cool to note in the story. Uh, moving on, verse eight. Verse eight. The edict has been set by Nebuchadnezzar. At this time, some astrologers or Chaldeans, I'll explain that in just a second, uh, came forward and they denounced, they denounced the Jews. And they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods, nor do they worship the image of gold that you have set up. And so the scene is, everyone's there, the music band starts, Everybody falls in allegiance except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who stand, who stand. And it infuriates, it infuriates the people who come to uh, accuse them. Uh, the Chaldeans, the astrologers in verse eight are the Chaldeans. It's a general ethnic term for the Babylonian people. Um, the Chaldeans, a pagan people, a polytheistic people, many gods. And they hated, they hated the Jews who were now in their land, especially Jews who had been, hear this, promoted to positions of authority over them. So Chaldeans, it was an ethnic term. They hated the Jews. This is racism and resentment and the intensity of racism and resentment toward these three young men in the story. Verse eight in the NIV says, they denounced Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you have the ESV translation, it says they maliciously accused them. In the Greek, that word that's translated denounce or maliciously accuse, it's a pretty vulgar term. The literal translation of it is this. It means to devour the pieces of flesh, to devour the pieces of flesh torn off their bodies. That's where they were. They were in a murderous rage in their racism and in their resentment. Why so enraged? Because when the music Played and everybody bowed. How dare those three Jews stand? They must be killed. 
I want to invite you to think from me with, with me for just a moment back to our Jude series. We did a three-week series in the book of Jude in October. And a couple of times in that Jude series, we mentioned the story of Jesus being in the wilderness and Satan coming to tempt Jesus. And, and Satan was tempting Jesus to have it his own way to do what he wanted, the temptation of Satan. It was the same temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. Don't be under the authority of God. You decide what you want and do what you want. And all three times that Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he responded, it is written, right? We talked about every time he was tempted, he responded, it is written. We talked about this too, that um, in the Ephesians chapter six, Right, the famous story of spiritual warfare, the only offensive weapon we have is a sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we talked about praying in the spirit is praying the word of God over yourself, over our church, over people that you love. If even Jesus, the son of God, places himself, even Jesus, the son of God, places himself under the authority of scripture, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they do exactly the same Thing. They would obey God no matter what. Why? Because they were under authority of God's word. Think with me for just a second. They were in the old covenant of law. We are the new covenant church. Jesus came and fulfilled every iota of the old covenant, liberating us from its demands. And he has inaugurated the new covenant of grace by his blood on the cross and his resurrection. Historical context of Daniel is these three young men were Jewish young men being raised up in the old covenant of law. For sure, for sure, they were discipled and raised in the old covenant. They would have known and memorized over and over the 10 commandments. And they would live in the reality of that covenant that God had with the Hebrew people. So um, turn over to Exodus 20. Just a reminder of one of the things in the 10 commandments that I am certain I am certain that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had this thought, this mindset, this conviction to stand up and stand out when that music played and they did not bow. Verses three to six in Exodus 20, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow, you shall not bow to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. They would obey God and his law. They would remain faithful to the covenant no matter what. They would be faithful as exiles no matter, no matter what the consequences were. The word gets back to Nebuchadnezzar about these three young Jewish guys. And it says in verse 13, furious, verse 13 to 18 now. Uh, Let me see if we can go. I can't keep forgetting to click this, sorry. Here's where we are now. Okay. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? or worship the image of gold I have set up. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and the pipes and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made very good. 
But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able, he is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the image of gold you have set up. We will not bow. We will not. Powerful, powerful. It's interesting to me in thinking about Nebuchadnezzar, he was furious with rage. But again, remind yourself of how the second chapter ended. He fell prostrate before Daniel because Daniel had some power given by God to interpret his dream. And so he had favored and positioned these three young men to be in uh, administrators over province. And so he's furious, but yet he's, he wants to give them another chance. Like, I'm gonna give you another try here, boys, but if you continue to stay in defiance, I have no other course of action than to throw you into the furnace. And when I throw you into the furnace, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Again, sense the arrogance of that. It's not a God that Nebuchadnezzar knew at that time, because he did not know the one true God. I think verses 17 and 18, those are, for me, the climax of the story, Uh, the response of these three teenage boys to this powerful king. Um, And you know, it's interesting, they I read this and I go, they didn't, they didn't really get teen sassy here with the king. I mean, they didn't get mouthy really with him. You know, I, again, I'm around teenagers a lot. Teenagers can get a little mouthy sometimes. I mean, they just can. I just look at this and they go, they, they literally say, I, I don't, we don't even have a need to answer. We don't have a need to answer you in this matter. But then they say these things that are really remarkable. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we still won't bow. You see, what their, their mindset, what they're saying, what they're doing here is this. They, they affirm that God is able. They affirm in the power of God to deliver them. In fact, they believe that it's likely for them. It's likely for them. I believe in the supernatural power of God to deliver us. They don't doubt it. But they also recognize that their own martyrdom is possible. They will not presume, they will not presume, they have no right to presume upon God. So they say, even, we believe that he is able, we believe that it's even likely, but even if he doesn't, we still will remain faithful to Yahweh. We will trust and follow God either, either way it goes. If we get this deliverance on this side of heaven, Amen. If we do not, we will still trust God and say, amen. That is, that is some real brass tacks of a gritty, gritty faith in the midst of some real, real hardship and struggle. Uh, that these teenage boys will not be involved in idolatry as a fixed point of this story. 
It is a fixed point. They will not be involved in idolatry and they are ready to take a consequence of death rather than compromise their values, their convictions, and their beliefs. Let's finish the story. Many of you already know the story. If for some reason um, you don't know how this story ends, this is gonna be fantastic for you to hear for the first time because it is amazing, amazing. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, at his, and his attitude toward them changed. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Seven in the scripture uh, is used a lot. It just means it's a, it's a number of completeness. It just simply means that the furnace was heated to as hot as it could possibly go. As completely as it can be heated, that's how heated it was. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Think Navy SEALs. Think like SEAL Team 6. Those are the bros that King Nebuchadnezzar grabbed to tie up these three young sophomore 15-year-old kids who would not bow to his image. And so these men wearing their robes and their trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into, fell into the blazing furnace from the top. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked the advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? How could he see what's going on? Because of those side ventilation doors. They're thrown into the top and he can see and go, what is going on here? They're not being incinerated by the fire that literally killed SEAL Team 6 at the top when they threw them in. Man, if you haven't heard this story before, This is gonna freak your beak right here. You guys ready? Here we go. Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire. I literally have chills all over my body. And I've already preached this once today for the live stream. Crazy, so good. There's a four, there's a fourth Four men in there walking around unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the God. Secularism denies the supernatural power of God, but not people who believe and follow Yahweh. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing fire and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out here. So Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego high-fived each other and skipped out of the furnace. Just kidding, that's my paraphrase. But don't you know they were high-fiving each other and pounding that? I mean, for real, for real. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors crowded around them and they saw the fire had not harmed their bodies nor a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives. They were willing to give up their lives for their convictions, their faith, their belief. 
rather than serve or worship any God except their own. I would rather give up my life than idolatry. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted, he promoted them again. Humble, courageous faith getting promoted, the favor of God. He promoted Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Whew, baby, baby, love it. They get lowered to the opening. They're observed through the side doors. It's turned up so hot, still team six gets incinerated, but not to these three friends and the fourth, and the fourth. Amazing. Who's the fourth person in there? What's going on here? Who is it? It's Jesus. I think it's Jesus too. That's who I think it is. I think it's Jesus. I think it's a pre-incarnate revelation of Jesus Christ. And we, we need to think about having childlike faith in this moment to go, God is able to bring miracles to our lives and to break through into the natural with the supernatural. We, we see in this story what is likely, what is likely a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself. When the um, author of Hebrews probably the Apostle Paul uh, writes really briefly about this story in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, that great chapter of all the, all the men and women of faith over the generations. He mentions this story briefly and it says as he thinks about it, he describes it as a miraculous act. And it said this, Hebrews eleven thirty four. 34, God quenched, he quenched the power of fire. Let's remember Let's remember that Jesus was at the creation. Colossians chapter one, verses 15 and 16. Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. Verse 15, verse 16. All things have been created through him or by him and for him. Jesus is the creator. He's created the world and everything in it. He's created the elements, all of the elements in the world. One commentator um, about this story said this this week that I loved. It says, the same one, Jesus himself, who created the universe, maintains absolute control over the elements in the universe, including fire. His control over the effects of fire is in perfect keeping with his divine power. This is, this is miraculous. This is miraculous. This is supernatural stuff. Um, does our faith have room for the miraculous supernatural power of God in our lives, in our theology? Uh, witnessing this whole scene was a game changer for Nebuchadnezzar, but don't misunderstand. He did not become a follower solely of the Hebrew God in this moment. He was enamored by it. He was overwhelmed by it, but he was not committing here in faith to follow only Yahweh, again, uh, the Babylonian empire was polytheistic, many gods. What's happening here at the end of the chapter is Nebuchadnezzar is simply adding the Hebrew God to his list of many gods. And he's telling everyone in the empire, if anyone speaks ill of the Hebrew God, they will be torn to pieces and their house will be left 
to rebel, but he was certainly enamored and overwhelmed by the reality of the power of the God of these three young men. Let's uh, talk a bit about a couple of things for us to consider. There's a lot of things that we could talk about, think about in terms of uh, how this could be relevant for our lives. I would like to uh, invite you to consider a couple of big points um, in thinking about this story this morning. Um, the, first, the first thing is this. I keep forgetting to do my clicker today. We already read Colossians 1. Here's the point. The New Testament consistently urges Christians, the New Testament and the New Covenant The New Testament consistently urges Christians to avoid all forms of idolatry because we are new creations. We are new creations. If you want to write this chapter down, go home later today or sometime this week and some time alone uh, when you're spending time in the word. And I would encourage you uh, to do that. First Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And the whole chapter is about idolatry and he is exhorting them, warning them about the temptation of idolatry in their lives. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 14 says, flee, flee from idolatry, he tells the church in Corinth and he would tell us uh, today. Same author, the apostle Paul um, writes to the church in Colossae. And so in the book of Colossians chapter three, I wanna read Uh, a section here. So if you want to turn over to Colossians, uh, pastoral epistles right after the book of Philippians, uh, let me read to you uh, the first 10 verses of chapter three. Paul, like, because you are a new creation in Christ, you have been made new. Therefore, idolatry has no place in the life of someone who is following Jesus, who is a disciple of Christ. So he says in verse one, starting in Colossians three, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, not just your hearts on it, set your minds also on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, because it's true that your life is hidden in Christ, because it's true that you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, because it's true you have been made new, therefore, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath or the holiness and justice of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways before you were in Christ, before you had understanding and revelation of the love of God, the unconditional love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God to save you and make you brand new. Before that happened, be reminded you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Flee 
idolatry. Paul says to the new covenant church, to us, what, what is idolatry? What is idolatry? Idolatry is the worship of an idol. Extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone can be an idol. What is idolatry? The worship of idols. Extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone. Think, think about this. Anything really can become an idol in our lives if we aren't careful and if we don't have discernment. Anything. And so what I wanna invite you to consider this morning in your own personal discernment is this. Do you have any extreme admiration for something or someone or love or reverence for that something or someone that keeps you from keeping your identity in Christ, your keeping your love on for God and for other people? Is there anything that you have extreme admiration for that seems to distract you or disrupt the way you engage your relationship with God and the way you engage relationship with people? could be an idol in your life. The truth is, we think about this story and we go, um, I mean, I, maybe there's somebody, I'm sure there are people, yes, there are people, that would go to an actual physical 90 foot by 90 and bow down to it, but that's not the norm in modern reality of how do we engage the conversation about the temptation of idolatry coming into our lives. And so um, we're, we no longer bow to these actual idols and images, but I, I mean, I think it's, let's just say out loud, like we, as the church, as pe- we still got idolatry issues. I mean, we can be tempted by this as well. Today, this brand of modern idolatry can take a lot of different forms. We, we can easily be tempted to worship at the, at the altar of materialism, which feeds our need to build up our egos. We can easily be tempted to worship at the altar of our own pride and ego. This can often take the form of obsession with our careers, our jobs, our reputations. We can idolize mankind sometimes through naturalism, secularism, the power of science that would deny the supernatural. We can worship at the altar of self-fulfillment or even self-indulgence at the expense, at the expense of other people in our lives. I think we have to be honest and humble enough in ourselves to go, idolatry can still be rampant in our lives and we need discernment about these things. If we are to escape, if we are to be set free from the temptation of modern idolatry, I think we have to at least admit that it still can be pretty rampant and we have to admit how it can sneak into our own lives and we have to ask God by his kindness, hear this, by his kindness, Romans 2, to lead us to repentance, to reject any idolatry in my life other than the one true God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen? And it is for freedom that Christ is setting us free from idolatry. Um, It's not of God, but it is of Satan to get you to think only about yourself and what you want and how you want it and when you want it. 
It's the temptation that happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. It's the same temptation that Satan gave Jesus in the wilderness that he fought against by saying it is written. And it's the same kind of temptation that comes our way as well. And sadly, many like Adam and Eve are still falling for it, but we, we will never find true peace and joy focusing on ourselves, putting ourselves above God and others. Our hearts and minds must be centered in God and God alone to go, I will not bow to anything other than Jesus himself. Secondly, I would invite you to think about this uh, question. Do we, only, do we only trust God when we get the outcome that we pray for? Do we only trust God when we get the deliverance that we're asking God for? Or do we have faith to believe like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I believe that God is able. I believe that God is powerful to deliver. Even if he doesn't, we will still be faithful to God. We will still trust. We will still believe. This is, this is the brass tacks of our faith. Do we have a faith that can withstand and go through hardship, suffering in our Lives. If, I, if we only trust God when we get the outcomes that we pray for, um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna love you in a pastoral way because I do love you as your pastor. If that is the faith that we're operating in, your faith is shaky. If your trust in God is only when he brings the deliverance that you are praying for, that is shaky faith because when you do not get the outcome that you're praying for on this side of heaven, when you don't get the healing you're praying for on this side of heaven, when you don't get the deliverance you're praying for on this side of heaven, um, we are tossed to and fro. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they remind us of this very important lesson. We can maintain faith in God, even when our circumstances remain difficult. Um, there is no suggestion in Daniel 3, and there is no suggestion elsewhere in scripture that the believer, that the Christian, that the follower of God is cushioned against trouble and suffering in our lives. Except, except that God will be with you in it. I wanna read the end of Habakkuk um, because Habakkuk was really wrestling with this question. And uh, at the very end of this, um, this book, chapter three, it says this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Joy is not connected to circumstances. Joy is connected to Jesus. And if we have Jesus, we have joy. The sovereign Lord is my strength, not my circumstances. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go 
on the heights? Um, this, is a, this is a hard question, you guys. Um, and I know, I know there are people in our church family that have stood up and they've stood out and they prayed for deliverance. And they, they have received the answer to their prayer on this side of heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I also know that there are people in our church family that have prayed for deliverance and have prayed for healing on this side of heaven. And they did not receive the answer to their prayer of deliverance and healing on this side of heaven. And they're still holding on to their faith because God is still holding on to them. Hallelujah. And we know the end of the story. And so that is why we can hold on because we know the end of the story. That we may not have been given the deliverance and the healing. And I'm saying we because I'm in that story. I'm in that story. We didn't get that deliverance on this side, but we believe and trust that we will see the fullness of God's promises in his new heaven and in his new earth. Uh, close with this worship band. You can come back up uh, get ready. I just wanna read this. I, I believe and know I, that when Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were uh, facing this reality that the Ten Commandments and what we read earlier was so right in front of them. Also, I also wonder, I wonder if this passage from Isaiah was there too. About a hundred years or so before the story of Daniel 3, Isaiah the prophet, God gave him this prophetic word to give to Israel. And sometimes I wonder if Isaiah 43, one through three was right in their minds and in their hearts and giving them the courage to stand up and stand out. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior.